Hello, I'm Tim and he's John. Oh, hello there. I've done it again. You have. I know. You've optimised the way they're there. Uh, well, it's took, took like years. Um, hello there, I'm Tim and he's John and this is How to Murder Time, a podcast about games and things. Hello everybody. Watcher, I've totally forgotten how to start the show. It's the heat. I know, it's just like baking my brain. Plus, yeah. I, I I hadn't had much sleep last night either, really. Why, why is that then? Uh, I got up at five in the morning. Why did you do something like that? Because I slept in a hedge. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and it should be pointed out on purpose. On purpose, yes. Yeah. This is because I. This wasn't a Saturday no, night no, gone wrong. This is, this is my. Well, it was a Saturday night gone wrong. <laughs> my stage preparations for what will probably be the last week of my life in the end of se- at the end of September. Uh, auditions for a new co host start next week. Yep. Um, yes, I, went, I, I hinted previously that I'd gone out and bought a load of camping equipment for my uh, much vaunted uh, Southwest Coast Path attempt, which will be starting this year. And I thought I'd better learn how to use the tent first before I just like go out and find myself on a cliff above, cliff above Exmoor somewhere in the middle of the night without knowing what the hell's going on. So, uh, yeah, I went for a short hike out uh, late yesterday around near where I live and went basically I, I did some prep I was going to do because I thought okay unfamiliar tent unfamiliar yeah. kit all yeah. this stuff I thought best bet will be to book into a campsite somewhere somewhere I can take my time learn how it all works and everything not have to do the uh, the ninja camping ninja camping it's, it's, it's a thing I'm trying to hashtag okay. it up and make it a thing but um, but yes I thought no I don't want to have to be doing that because you know first time with the tent and the nearest campsite to me wanted 50 quid yeah for one night I only charge 45 I know, I should have, I should have just camped, after camped in your garden or something, but I thought, no, I'm not 12, so... Um, I did actually look before I went to bed. Like <laughs> just make sure I had snuck, snuck in there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they wanted 50 quid, though. It was effectively, you had to book the whole pitch, which is effectively the single-room supplement yeah. of camping, Yeah. and they only booked for the whole weekend, not one night, so, ah, screw that. So I thought, right, well, I guess it's ninja camping it is then. Um, so here I am, like, I, so I, tracked, I sort of did a bit of Google Maps. I know the area where I went out hiking anyway, because it's near where I used to live, quite a long time so i know the sort of byways oh, and okay. backcountry stuff yeah. yeah yeah to the south yeah. and uh, up over the hills there um, a nice area it is it's quite quiet well i thought so anyway um and i knew the countryside i know i know where the security patrols tend to drive <laughs> around they have these like bloke they hire a security yeah. guard to, to go around in a, in a land rover and make sure people aren't i don't know rustling their wheat or something actually um, there's a lot of rustling going on around here i don't know yeah there must have been, must have been some sort of problems if they can afford to hire someone to go but I've, I've been hiking up around that way before you know of an evening or whatever and know the patrols and stuff and knew where enough far enough to get back and i thought well oh, so so you got a bit of a dilemma so you know this is this is all comes under the heading of wild camping um do you go for somewhere that is totally trespassing but well off the beaten track where no one's likely to find you but but it's totally against the law or do you camp on the track on a public footpath or bridleway or whatever which is more of a sort of public order offence rather than an outright aggravated criminal trespass that's a good question but you're more likely to be discovered so this is the thing anyway the the thing with wild camping is no one minds if you set up at dark and are gone at uh, dawn yeah so that's basically what I did but this is how mainstream wild camping is no. I was driving back from the cinema last night yeah. on Radio 2, yeah. listening to that around um, 10-ish, 11-ish, whatever yeah. time it was, and uh, somebody phoned in to say they were off wild camping that weekend along the South Downs Way, yeah, uh, a route I know quite well. <laughs> that's, that's brave. Uh, very exposed. It's yeah. on top of the Downs. A lot, lot of privately owned land around yeah. there, yeah. And yeah, it's that main street. But anyway, yeah. Mm. It's, uh, yeah. So, yeah, well, not much to it, really. Got out there, set up about half ten. The, the tent is it's smaller than I imagined. I did try it in the tent showroom, um, yeah. and so just to make sure I could fit, but in comfort. Did you get the cars before you bought it? <laughs> yeah, I had a go. 
it's it's essentially a bivy bag but with poles uh, and a yeah. fly sheet it's yeah. it's really is one man literally one man. i mean it's big enough for me to lie down in just about and i'm it's quite, quite a, tall, a tall person but not enough room for me to lie down on my back with my feet poking up because it slows down <laughs> and the, the other bit of the far end's too now anyway long story short yeah, the tent was really good all the kit i got we've got the uh self-inflating mat thing no rain. Um, the sleeping bag was great. Problem is, sleeping bag's great down to minus one degree. What did it get to? Uh, it was about about 18 degrees all night. Yeah, it was warm. <laughs> the top end of its comfort range is 20, but it was just so hot. So I didn't sleep well, no, because... Uh, did you consider getting out of the sleeping bag? Uh, I was on top of it at one point, yeah, but it was just um, the condensation a bit as well in the, in the in hot, hot evenings yeah. and stuff. And also, the motorway's very loud. I was, I was about three or four miles away, and it just—it's yeah. just I need right. So next time, pillow, yeah, because yeah, I just yeah, some sort of inflatable pillow. Uh, I couldn't get comfortable with my head; it just kept like falling off and stuff. And some sort of earplugs, I think. Yeah, but, but yeah, no one discovered me, and I was down and uh, got it up and assembled in about ten minutes. Down and packed away in about the same again. So a great success in terms of the technical side of it all. But yeah, um, so I'm going to be taking that all on the road next weekend because I'm going to go and climb Mount Snowden. Uh, and that's too far away for me to do it in one day, so I'm going to drive up there and find a campsite around. The, I've already found a campsite. So. Have you booked a campsite? Uh, no, I'm just going to turn up because that's fine, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, um, yeah camp, climb climb the thing down during the day. It'll take about seven hours, and then camp in the evening, and then drive back. So. You don't use the train? Uh, no, no, I'll drive. It's only about five and a half hours. No, the train up Snowden. Oh, the train up the Snowden. No, no, that's, that's, that's cheating, clearly. Yeah. There is a train going up Snowden. It goes to a nice little cafe. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yes, uh, not as glamorous or as comfortable as sleeping at home, but uh, it does the job, uh, yeah. and relatively cheaply, too, especially if you don't pay anyone for where you pitch. Ninja camping, it's the future. Um, but, yes, let's talk about some stuff. Okay. Um, it's Hugo time. It is Hugo it time. Is, yeah, so Apparently. regular viewers, stroke listeners, stroke whatever the hell, you know, however you're consuming this, will know Subjects. that... <laughs> Subjects. <laughs> will um, know that I have taken this whole obsession too far with science fiction literature and, have, um, and am a Hugo Award judge. Yeah. Which costs about 50 US dollars. Uh, they charge you to this do year. it. Well, it's a, it's a supporting membership of Worldcon, you see. Worldcon's the big convention, and if you go along to that, I'm sure you have a great time. And if you do go along to that, you get to do the voting as well. But you can be a supporting member and not go along to the big thing, which I think is in Finland this year, uh, and still have do the online voting for the, the books and stuff. And I thought, well, you know, get involved, take part and stuff. And last year, it was really good. I had five books last year. Some were better than others, obviously, yeah. because that's how these things work. Um, but they were all very good. Uh, and I voted, and I think I was one of about three thousand or so. My 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 membership number six thousand something this time round. It's really going up and getting more popular this time, mm. unless I booked late. I don't know, but either way, um, yes. Yeah, so six books. There they all are. There's um, a lot of a lot of interest. Yeah, I, I managed also because they for some reason I still don't quite understand. They added it, they they opened it up to six nominees instead of five like last time, um, and they're all typically about four or five hundred pages each, doorstoppers, uh, and you have about two months two to three months to read them in I think yeah. um, and I've got it all done just about I was really chugging them though and I still managed to get two more books in for the uh, yeah. the, the, the Hugo show thing we do um, yeah so uh, this this time I did it again and I was done with about a week to go so that's alright managed to cram my head full of all sorts of dizzying future visions um, and I'm going to talk about them briefly here uh, and go over why I voted for what okay. 
So let's start with this one. This is in reverse order of what I um, what I voted, by the way. So no spoilers there. <laughs> Did you put them up in order? Uh, no, no, they're oh. in a random order. So uh, my last place. So, yeah. so I want to start by saying they were all really good. I should hope so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't a case of all these ones were terrible and this, this was the only decent one. I should pretty much one. hope they were top six. They were, they were all very good, and any one of them should be, you know, should, would would be a, a, a good winner. But it's a subjective thing. Is isn't any it? of them as good as the graveyard book? Um, yes. Are any one of them as very good similar. as City in the City? Oh, don't make me list the whole lot. They're all very good. But um, I can't compare the plots to each mm-hmm. of them. You're confusing me now. I know. It's, it's really hot as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Do you want to talk about them? No. Yeah. Yeah, see, this, this is uh, about a gate. Uh, it's a boring book about a gate because it's made out of obelisks. Give it here. Right, so this is book two in the uh, the Broken Earth, but this is the Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemisin. Now, she won it last year with the first part of this series. This is the, the second part in a massive door-stopping... I think it's going to be a quadrilogy. So, I don't know. Which means it maxes out to the five out of ten. You can, tell, you can tell there's going to be a lot of them because the number on the back's in numerals, not Roman numerals. Mm. It's usually a bad sign. Um, I don't know. So this continues on... This essentially is a post-apocalyptic, very far in the future tale of an Earth that is completely devastated on an extremely routine basis by continual earthquakes. You might remember me talking about it oh, from yes, previous... Yeah. Um, and it's, it's essentially a story of, of, of how people live in that world, how they survive, what what they do, what it does to their societies, to their relationships and so on. It follows the, the, the heroine of the first book, uh, Essen, uh, and it, it basically carries on and picks up pretty much at the end of the first book. Um, and it's the same cast of people. It's the same people. And this is what this might. This is probably why I, I liked it the least out of all the books here because I just don't like the characters. They're very well written. They're very very well drawn. Very you know, interesting. And it is an interesting book, but it's it's not a fun book. It's that interesting but not fun thing. And they are bit, the, the, all the characters in there are bitter, broken, twisted, jaded people who are constantly like you know being sarcastic and snide at each other. And the, I mean, the main story sort of picks up where Nesson had fetched up amongst a community of similar um, origins who are like um, appendix. Appendix, yes. Um, well, it's good to get the world lore in, you know. So he picks up with the story of Ness Essen getting to a, a community of rogue origins, and these are basically humans who are like have a mutation that allows them to, through some kind of magic, um, control earth tremors and earthquakes. And of course, they're the, you get the whole witch thing, pariahs. They're, they're fiercely controlled by the state or, or stoned to death as children. Whatever. Of course, they are. Yeah, it's that kind of bleak, brutal, bitter kind of world continuing on in here. Um, so she's sort of gotten gotten clear of all of the entanglements of her earlier lives and now is basically trying to sort of she's been sort of recontacted by her old mentor and, and, and sort of recruited to try and tackle the big problems and we're getting a lot more exposition in here we start to find out what the big massive floating obelisks in the sky are all about do they um, by any chance cause earthquakes I, I'm not saying I, I'm trying not to spoiler any of these See, this is well, like, I just read the last page so. <laughs> <laughs> you're spoiling them yourself yeah um, also, you have a second parallel story with her daughter and husband who escaped at the, at the beginning of the first book, and, and one of the strands of that first book was her trying to chase them. And we pick up their story, and as they sort of manage to escape and find their way to another community where the, where <coughs> her daughter gets gets all picked up and trained in in her arts as well. It's it's solid. It's it's very. It's a lot more expository. There's a lot more, and the reason is, and here is all. This, you know, there's a lot more yeah. backstory and explanation of what's gone on in here, which I think will people will find satisfying if they if they found the first one a bit impenetrable and didn't really, you know, hook onto 
what was going on and why, because not a lot's explained in that one. It is all presented as deliberately mystifying, whereas this one, we get a lot more get what of goings-on and so on. Um, I just still can't get like the characters particularly yeah. I, I, I mean it's a it's a testament to her skill to create such consistently bitter and twisted and broken people and, and tell a whole story there is a skill in. in writing a likeable unlikable character yeah, yeah one who you really don't like but still care about well this is a very subjective thing as well I mean some people might really get behind you know her guts and her, and her drive and can you know nothing breaks this woman she you know all sorts of crap happens to her and she just drives on through it and, and uses her anger as fuel and you know that can be a compelling sort of characterization but i just found it quite wearying and relentless i mean as i say i mean just because i voted it last doesn't mean so it's not a good yeah. book and it, it, I, I i would be surprised i mean yeah my own my own opinions notwithstanding i'd be surprised if she got a two hugos in a row for two parts of a, a series that yeah that, never that, that's uh, really unlikely i mean i think in memory red mars didn't win but green and blue mars both won yeah. in their respective years so potentially it could i don't know i mean well especially <clears throat> two books in two years yeah yeah and a one and a two yeah. in a season I, I don't know i think i think there might be a, a, bit, a bit of a sense of you've had your turn yeah. i don't know also if you win for one <clears throat> and two do you then not win for three does everyone say that three's no good well it definitely ends on a and the, the the adventure continues. There is going to be a third. You know, uh, I, mean, no, I, no. I don't know how many uh, are planned. So too we'll many. See. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're not a big fan of series work, so I, I like to know it's going to have an end before I start. <laughs> you want some sort of definite commitment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want something it's going to last the rest of my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, on to the, my fifth place. Then this is all the birds in the sky. That's a- by Charlie Jane Anders. <clears throat> so this, that's not, yeah, that's okay. yeah. this is a contemporary tale of two misfit children who meet as six-year-olds. He is an, uh, a ghost. <coughs> no, 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 no. He's a, he's a mad scientist who manages to download plans off the internet and at the age of six build a wristwatch that can jump him two minutes forward in time. So she okay. builds himself a time machine. Yeah, time yeah. And she uh, goes out into the woods at age six and discovers that she understands the language of birds. Okay. So yeah, you get this quite sweet little setup where there's two children who are basically quite odd and misfits, and there's, there's, someone's aiming for a film. You're getting this real harsh level of incongruously abusive parental neglect and 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 abuse going on through it. Not actual beatings and stuff, but the stuff these these children get you know put through by their siblings and parents. It almost borders on the kind of sort of roll dull kind yeah. of sort of fairy tale ooh, so, aunt, so their biological evils. parents are alive no no these are different children different families they're, yeah, just, they're just friends both oh, the, them, yeah yeah well that, that's and, wrong because kids but the children <laughs> parents have to be yeah dead. but you're getting this but it's not really played for comedy or laughs it's played for in quite a contemporary realistic sort of setting so you're thinking okay no i can't laugh at this because this is actually happening anyway so they they, they grow up and grow apart and then re, they meet again when they're sort of when they're young adults i don't know in their 20s or whatever and she's now a fully fledged member of the occult circle or whatever and he's he's like uh, the, the wunderkind of some silicon valley startup and you know they and it is essentially a tale of magic versus science Okay. Uh, and told through a kind of love story, relationship, will they, won't they kind of thing going all the way through. And it's, it, is, it is charming and it is sweetly done, but there's, it is so jumpy as well. It, it really sort of zaps around the place. It doesn't really establish it. It establishes a kind of just about their world law behind it all, you know, the, the, the business with training of the witches and stuff and you know, the, the, how, how, how he got into all his lab work and what he's working on and stuff. And it sort of, sort of drives towards a kind of apocalyptic culmination and I, I don't want to spoil the ending at all it but sets up for a sequel <laughs> 
no, I don't know. I didn't think it. I didn't think it said sequel to me. The end, but I found the end a bit disappointing. Mm. Really, underwhelming a little. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, I suppose the strength in this is that is the relationship is really well told. You know, they are. It's that you know, best friends becoming girlfriend boyfriend but not you know that kind of thing and obviously i'm i'm an emotional dead inside cripple so i don't really understand that kind of biological stuff but this was a good good uh, <laughs> good accounting i think it felt believable the the relationship but the, the sort of everything going on around it jumps around so much and 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 there's so much sort of bonkers oh and now suddenly suddenly they're in siberia blowing up like an oil pipeline and what now hang what's where's this giant scorpion robot tank thing come from you know you know yeah. it's it's just it's, it keeps pulling stuff out of thin <laughs> to sort of propel itself along and it it, it it makes you sort of and yet at the same time you've got this quite in-depth examination of ostracization i mean the 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 phase where they're at effectively high school or whatever you know college when they're sort of 16 or so and that just the horrific abuse they're getting from like parents and school friends because obviously they're not the cool kids yeah. they are you know the reason they are friends a lot of the way through the book is because no one else will sit with them at lunchtime it's, it's that kind of relationship built built on sort of solidarity of victimhood if nothing else and i don't know it's it's isn't there's a lot of interesting ideas in there, but I just it just felt a bit I don't know gallopy and a bit a bit sort of out of thin air a lot of the time, and, and I like the relationship and I like the characters. It's almost the opposite problem of of the Obelisk Gate there. The Obelisk Gate has got some fantastic world building, but the characters and the people are just profoundly unlikable. Mm. It's almost the opposite problem in here. You know the the, the characters I, I like. I really wanted them to get you know succeed and get on and and yeah end up together and stuff, but. Just everything else going on around them at whatever rate, and you know, just sudden arbitrary reasons why you can't do this, and the magic works like this all of a sudden, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. And you almost you find that getting in the way of you know what's essentially just a, a, a contemporary love yeah. story, which made me wonder, did it need to be a science fiction contemporary love story? But then it, you know, it, that that is an angle certainly. I <clears throat> I don't know, I liked it, but not as much as all the others. Obviously, okay. <laughs> so let's move on. So number four on my uh, list is uh, yes. Here we go. Hello, we have to look. I know. I wrote them down in case I forgot. Uh, So to like the lightning by Ada Palmer. This is an interesting one. This is a kind of uh, utopian. Contemporary fiction thing, sort of set in the year 2700 or something like that. How's that contemporary fiction? Well, it's uh, contemporary, well, future from now. It's not not an invented future. It's like, you know, this world moved forward. And it's a really odd one, this. I mean, I've seen it compared to a lot of Gene Wolfe's stuff. And, okay. and, yeah. and some, yeah. Not a bad so thing. Particularly Book of the Long Sun. It's felt very familiar with that. So it's basically a futuristic society where nations and. and I'm not going to relig- read the last pages, so I might read it. <clears throat> nations and religions have. Is it, well, religions in particular have been outlawed after the church wars, um, a thing which happened in the past. And basically, three people talking about the same religion in one place is considered a church and is outlawed. <laughs> so now we have this, yeah. And also, they, they also don't. <laughs> Like they don't use gendered pronouns, uh, yeah, because that's yeah. that's bad that's as well. Fashion. Yeah, um, so pretty much everyone in the story uses the uses the word they or them to talk about can, everyone else. Can I guess? Yeah. Are the puppies going to be upset about this book? Uh, there's a lot in there that might upset traditional uh, rocket gun and laser spaceships sci-fi fans. Yes. Uh, have a look at that front plate there. I don't know if you want to hold it up to the camera. I don't know if you can even see it. it. The whole thing is written in the style of an 18th century Renaissance novel, including like sort of almost Dickensian front plate on the front with with the right type of, with the typography sex. and everything. It's got some bad sex in there, I think. Um, oh, God, yes, it has at the back, yeah. Um, 
and it, so it's it's got a trigger warnings bit at the start. <laughs> it is it's that kind of book. It's a very playful book. I think this may be the anti puppy entry, yeah. perhaps. But so it's this tale. It's being told in first person for by a chap called, called Mycroft Canner, who from the start uh, is you know will totally understand if you recognise his name and don't want anything to do with it. So you've got this whole thing building through with who is Mycroft Canner and why why does he think we should be so terrified and abhorrent of him? Um, he's writing this history. Um, and he, he considers himself a bit of a weirdo and deviant by using his and her pronouns through just for, to make life easier for a reader of the future. Um, and it's... So you got... I don't know, you've got two different strands going through. One is the appearance of in 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 a little... So everyone lives in these sort of communes. They don't have the traditional families anymore. There's no such thing as nations. They all live in these these organisations called hives. And there's like basically yeah. seven major... It's, a, it's very much like Alpha Centauri. You know, okay. the factions yeah. in there where you don't, we don't have nations anymore. It's all basically... Everyone's divided themselves up on ideological lines that span the entire world. The entire world is... Well, we have progressed beyond this and invented something worse. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of thing, yeah. So... <clears throat> The whole world is is connected by extremely fast and reliable flying cars, and that becomes quite pivotal because the, a lot of the action happens around the the sort of little commune whose job it is to run the flying car system. Uber. Uh, well, yeah, the sort of future Uber, <laughs> whatever. And uh, th- so, on one strand, you've one of the members of that family has discovered a child who ha- into a world where religion is outlawed, and and everyone basically is, has has their own personal psychotherapist instead of a chaplain or confessor anymore. Suddenly, a child turns up who can do literal miracles, okay, actual physical magic type yeah. miracles, and so they're all trying to hide him and, and raise him before you know the authorities can get to him and change his you know sort of you know impress upon him using his miracles for evil and so on. So there's that whole thing going through, and that was the one, that was a bit I was quite interested in. That was the fascinating sci-fi story. But then also you got this massive strand of of, of sort of. I don't know, not espionage perhaps, but sort of, you know, whodunit detective stuff going on with the theft of something called a 710 list. Each of these hives, big newspapers, produces something called the 710 list, which is a list of ten names. The first seven are just basically the heads of each of the hives, and the last three are just three other people. And those are the most... It's their who's who list of who's the most influential people in our society. And by some weird arcane thing I didn't quite follow, these lists then have a profound sociological impact on the stability of society because you know if, if someone's hot or not then it, apparently that can tumble empires or something and one of these lists gets stolen and that kicks off this massive sort of almost soap opera-esque uh, thing that went on most of the way through the book involving the, like the heads of all these different uh, hives who all happen to be on first name terms and all pally and half sisters and you know step wives and stuff with each other and stuff and it all got very incestuous and I don't know the book spent so much time Sort of going on and on about the sort of political structure of this this future world, which was interesting in a way, but didn't make for that yeah. great a narrative, and, and not nearly enough time to, you know looking at Bridger, you know the kid who has um, got the miracle powers. I mean, to, as an example, his miracle powers, he managed to bring some some army men to life. And these these yeah, little plastic toy soldier army men that they found in a rubbish heap from like you know hundreds of years ago brought back to life, and one of them, the major, becomes quite a, quite an important character in this book, acting as a kind of father figure for the Bridger character. Basically, you can make things come to life, literal. And you know, they have like a concept of a of a, a, a no go bag. Basically, Bridger is being taught to put certain things in the bag and never bring them back to life. Things like atomic bombs, that okay. kind of thing. You know, <laughs> when how do you educate like a six year old child how to not kill? Everything? 
everyone with the power to bring whatever they can imagine to yeah. life for reality. And that's that was interesting. I'd, I'd really like to have seen that explored in more detail. This thing sets itself up as the first book in in quite a few. I think I think I think four book. I think it four books was mentioned. I I yeah, well, I don't know. And, but I just found the meandering and the, and the examination. Normally, I'm really into the world building and stuff. But the, 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 it was oh, we've got this almost Alpha Centauri like future society driven by ideology, not nation, not, not where you're born. You sign up to join each of these different factions, and the factions represent different things. Like the humanist faction are well into their sports and personal prowess yeah. and so on. You know, it's that kind of thing. I mean, one of the factions was the Mitsubishi faction. Yeah, you know, literally, the Mitsubishi okay. company ends up yeah. you know hundreds of years in the future becoming one of the most powerful landowners and rental landlords in the world you know and it's how these things interact and how they came about and that was quite interesting but then it was just so drilled in on the sort of personal people aspect of it all but then also you got this third strand with who and what is Mycroft and the narrator of the book turns out well I don't want to spoil anything but there's a lot of interesting sort of revelations about the 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 uh, the, the narrator of the book himself as well which, which is quite interesting but also quite harsh in places so I come away from the end of it going eh. <laughs> you know that's all I, I don't know really which is why I've sort of got it in the middle there and my fourth favourite um, Do you think it, it suffers a lot from not being a self-contained fully is going to continue story? Um, yes because more than any other of these uh, book X in however out of however many ones that, and there's quite a few in here actually this one in particular spends almost the entire 440 pages setting up something amazing and then just not really Delivering. Yeah, that, that's a problem. And I don't know if that was a deliberate thing or whether you just gen if you genuinely have a really long story to tell that is justifiably that good and that long, then obviously you can't do it in one tome because it would be about that thick yeah. and people wouldn't be able to pick it up. You know, the literally the physical medium starts to become an issue at that point, which is why you get trilogies and so on. And sometimes they're justified and sometimes they're not. And and this is clearly one that has been, you know, designed as a whatever elegy from, from the get-go. It's not, you know, we'll see how the first book goes and then we'll throw out a few more this is clearly a very long story that's just taking a very long time to tell and i find myself a bit fascinated i sort of want to know what happens next but i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah but i just that it spends way too much time in the sort of almost and yeah i use the, the word the phrase soap opera literally you know this this whole business with the the rulers of all these factions going to little soirees and gossiping at each other and who's you know who oh now we need to have a meeting to sort out this that and the other and put someone on the case you know and it's almost like it it's almost deliberately subverting how utopian its society is by by just repeatedly showing how <laughs> incestuous the leadership is and how 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 sort of hereditary and 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 not 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 what it says it is at all. Perhaps yeah. that's on purpose. Yeah. In which case, it's very clever, but also a bit a bit a bit baffling. I don't know. So yeah, it's, uh, my fourth third favourite halfway uh, there. Yeah, Nine Fox Gambit. You want Yoon Ha Lee's Nine Fox Gambit? You're making the set wobble. Oh. Not Doctor Who. <laughs> Uh, this is this is a, a, a massive speculative military sci-fi future thing. Yeah, uh, set in. Uh, I like um, it. The Hexarchate. It looks brilliant. I, I, yeah, I can't even pronounce the things. Yeah, it's got explosions on the cover. No, no, it. turn it sideways. It's quite thin. Yeah, it's quite thin. You, you like short books, don't you? This was uh, 300 pages or so. That's good. Doesn't outstay its welcome at all. Ideal, So then. this follows the story of... Part uh, one of how many? Uh, well, that's the thing. It does set up for a cliffhanger. It probably... There probably will... There is, there is another one, actually. I yeah. think uh, I think Nick Sawyer was talking about it on our Slack books chat. Ah. If, you're, if you're well into the books in a nerdy fashion like I am, check our Slack thing out. We've got a special side channel for books 
books. Really? Yes. Okay. You obviously not. Uh, no. no, you don't do book. No, I didn't. No, no, it's there. I did, actually, I only learned, I only learnt about it two weeks ago. Apparently, it's been there for a year. <laughs> Has anyone been in their tank? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was scrolling back, scrolling back, scrolling back. And apparently, do you that, think they did wonder why I hadn't said anything? Do you think maybe we've lost control? <laughs> it's, it's going well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gone out of control. Anyway. Nine Fox Gambit. I like this one a lot. Uh, so this follows uh, Captain Kel Cheris, and she's uh, she's like a military co- infantry commander, sort of starship troopers style. And it opens with her gleading an assault on a planetary surface, hell warscape type thing. And almost immediately, what you're seeing is this insane level of maths turned in weaponized mathematics of a sort of quantum super future. Okay. Um, it all ro- the whole the whole thing revolves around something they call the High Calendar. Yeah. Now. <laughs> if enough people celebrate the right kinds of bank holidays the right way together in the right piece the right place it does something weird to space and time and you can design all, all kinds of cool futuristic swords and, and force fields and, and weapons that actually explains 1997 <laughs> it does indeed yes so basically yeah you've got this this basically sufficiently advanced magic going on all the way through with these kinds of weird weird kind of mathematical attacks based on this high calendar yeah. and this society is divided into six castes and they each fulfill their functions and the uh, is it the uh, I can't remember which one this is the uh, the Kells the Kells are the sort of soldiers and she's one of them <clears throat> there's a there's a there's a ruling case and a scheming espionage case and so on um, and the, so and it all fa- all I'd fits together cast. cast is it cast I never know cast uh-huh. yeah whatever no, but cast doesn't have an e so how do people know which one I'm saying casty casty mm. <clears throat> anyway so, <clears throat> yes I can't. Uh, no, it's gone again. You're talking about the cost? Yes. So this this society all functions and fits together as long as everybody follows the right kinds of calendar and the right kinds of observances. And if enough people believe a thing, it all happens and becomes real. And, and their their hyperdrives are based on this. Their, all their texts are based on this. So it becomes really important that you celebrate the right bank holidays. And if you don't, you decide you come up with a whole load of different bank holidays. And, I'm using bank holidays. The whole different calendar, not the high calendar. That's, that's regarded as a heretical calendar. <coughs> Okay. And punished really, really brutally by invasions, murder, death, etc. And they do this because if somebody starts mucking around with the, the, the clap your hands and, and it will, you know, will believe it all the same thing. Then your TV stops working. Well, your, your hyperdrive stops working, your society collapses. So they, they take a pretty dim view of other calendars. I can, I can, I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost, it's, it's brutal but justifiable in context as told through the book. So she's fighting a, a bunch of heretics on this planet and she comes up with some slightly unorthodox mathematics Uh-oh. because some people in a command basically if every they, the, the soldiers are trained with formation instinct which is essentially is brainwashing to follow orders uh, but if that breaks down and they don't follow orders correctly they're not lined up in the right patterns so a lot of the infantry formations or the starfleet the, the space battles rely on the ships being in very precise positions relating to each other yeah. because of again this weird high calendar thing so if someone's out of formation the whole thing falls apart jeopardizes everyone so she just decides right we'll do something different and comes up with a slightly heretical uh, <coughs> way to get around the problem and, and and wins the day but of course now she's a kind of maverick officer expendable so she's taken off duty and told to she basically promoted about 15 ranks up to general and told to deal with the uh, the fortress of scattered needles basically a massive stronghold of her heresy um, and to do so she's partnered up with a, a kind of weird mind state ghost thing of an old general who went mad and killed everyone on both sides of, of his most famous engagement and they go off to do lots of cool calendar magic maths okay. to and and, and and to try and retake this 
fortress. And it sounds pretty, you know, sort of Starship Troopers, but it, there's a lot of subtlety in it. The character of Cherish is very well written, I li- you know, very likeable, which goes a long way with me because I'm quite simple. I think it's, yeah, it's nice to like the people you're, yeah. you're rooting yeah. for. Um, but yeah, but then you've got this uh, Shuas Jadeo, who's basically this sort of Again, weird future math for magical magic. Um, he's, he's, been, he's, he's been incarcerated in digital form and then uploaded into her mind as a kind of advisor that she, only she can see. But he is obviously a mass murderer as well. So you've got this weird sort of almost Silence of the Lambs sort of Clarice and, and Hannibal thing going okay. on there, which is very well told, actually. I mean, he's not. it's not as simple as he's a frothing maniac. You know, he's a subtle character and he's obviously got some weird plans of his own going on. And is he going to help her? Because, you know, he's riding along in her brain, as it were. And so that kind of thing adds an interesting dimension to it all. And just, yeah, the, the likeable characters and the interesting, bizarre, bonkers mathematical magic, which I, I just really found <laughs> very entertaining, very enjoyable. Um, and, yeah, as you say, short to the point uh, is written, yeah, Starship Troopers meets this apocalypse now. Now they put Kurtz in charge, apparently. Yeah, so a fairly, a fairly uh, good assessment from uh, Stephen Baxter there on the back. Oh, cool. um, but, yeah, I, it, it, it's accessible, interesting. I mean, uh, there's a lot, a lot of bonkers maths in there that you're not even meant to understand. I mean, how can a high calendar even possibly work? But if you <laughs> If you roll with it, if you take it, you know, as read, it, it works within its own inconsistent story. Though. It does sound like it's taken lots and lots of little bits out, it does, out of yeah, 40k and put them all there's together. There's a bit, there's bits of that because you know the orc technology works by the orcs believe it works. And yeah, yeah, the whole heresy thing. And, there are, but then again, <laughs> saying you've taken lots and lots of things out of 40k is also saying you've just taken lots and lots of things out of everything of else. Everybody like, else, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I liked it. I mean, it is, it is, it does set up at the end for a cliffhanger, and the adventure continues. I think the, the other one, the next one is out um so i might have I go, go and look yeah. at that on my own you know just for pleasure not to try and do this weird back to myself year. well i don't know um i can see it doing well um yun harley i don't think i've seen anything else of yun's work um well, certainly not on any previous nomination yeah. list so it could be an interesting debut could do well um i don't know we'll see but depends i mean that's, that's got a reasonable puppy factor you know yeah. the sort of military sci-fi but the character it's the character's a woman for a start um and you know there's it's just she's really well written interesting and you know seeing how she copes with this sudden elevation out, well out of her depth and so on is quite interesting and you know how, <laughs> little quirks to her character as well it's her basic respect for for the servitor droids the servitors are essentially a, their own little robot species of like birds and things that go around okay. doing stuff on the and she, she invites some of them around to watch soap operas with sometimes and I just found that great that's brilliant <laughs> um, but so yeah I like that a lot that's good okay. so that's number three uh, number two uh, it's is close and common orbit. Close and common orbit. By Becky Chambers. I really like this one. It's again another sort of future sci-fi thing. Um, it's basically two two stories. So it's a cold open, and I think it might be a sequel to uh, A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, uh, which might have been nominated previously. I don't know anything about it, and so I dropped straight in on book two. Yeah. Which now that usually is that's is, usually kiss it's of usually death. a kiss of death. I mean, the Obelisk Gate. Fair enough. I'd read. I happened to have read the first one for last year's thing, but this time so I've just dropped straight in. But it's well, it's self-contained. Are you? 
it opens with uh, an AI kit. So basically a robot shell for an AI. These things, it open, the, very, the very first thing it opens with is a preface noting how illegal it is for AIs to have mobile human-style kits. <laughs> They've got to, AIs can only exist in the sh- in the housings, like ships or factories or whatever so they've been putting. Yeah, well, this the, apparently just before the start of this book, the ship got blown up or something, so the AI downloaded itself into a shell. Uh, uh, the, engineer, the, the, the ship's engineer, a woman uh, called Pepper, um, managed to find and prepare and, and get her out on a shuttle, and it opens there. And what you've got essentially is the the AI who was initially called Lovelace and takes a different name as she goes through. She it's it's her coming to terms with life as as a limited human type humanoid type okay. entity and that is quite interesting because this is an AI who's designed to monitor ship systems I mean you've got all sorts of quirks like she she's not comfortable unless she's stood on a t- stool and her head's wedged into the back corner of a room because normally she looks at rooms through corner cameras oh, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing and and when she, the first time she's in a crowded market she almost goes insane because she's trying to process everything she sees around her because her job is to monitor monitor all the people under yeah. her care and so on and it's that sort of continual Trying to reconcile her basic nature with her new life, uh, you know, continued existence, and the sort of the scrapes she gets into there. And Pepper's Pepper's sort of you know offers her a place to stay, and you know tries to help her out and tries to look after, her, try essentially become a parent in a way. And that's the sort of relationship that develops. Pepper Pepper as the mother with with Lovelace as as a kind of t- sort of surrogate child, and 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 it's a really touching relationship that sort of. J- j- Sort of develops between the two, and as it goes through, as as she gets more and more unravelled by the sort of the, its fundamental incongruity of I don't know body body dissonance is it dysmorphia I can't yeah. remember whatever the term is. And alongside that, you've got this second story, which is Pepper herself and her childhood. And it turns out that Pepper herself was actually a clone child from a factory planet who'd managed to escape. Um, it's just, it's some pretty brutal and, gr- and, gr- and gruesome scenes early on. This this machine society uses human children as, as a slave labour force, clone, okay. cloning because they're good small hands, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's an accident in the factory, and you know her world. You know she only knows the factory, and and the, the factory gets smashed open and she managed to escape through into this into this massive junk heap finds a crash shuttle with a, a, a with a sort of remnants of an ai personality on that shuttle and that shuttle offers you know the ai that the shuttle offers a sanctuary and what you end up with is a kind of mirrored parallel story running through with the ai who's is called owl raising this this clone child who's only been taught enough to be able to do machine work from the age of like six yeah. up to about uh, up to about sort of twenty or so, and and their attempts to try and escape from this this horrific world and out to main civilization. So then these two stories running side by side, and they are but it is essentially about mothers and daughters. And it's but with the quirk, obviously, you know, the one story the the AI is the child, the other story run alongside the AI is the mother, and they sort of come together at the end. And it's really elegantly told, really well crafted, and and again likable, well well fleshed out characters. The world building, I don't know how much I missed from not having read the first one. A lot of it was just, you know, word salad names, such and such space station, such and such empire. But none of it seemed to matter at all. And, and, and yeah, in, you know, uh, surprisingly, it, it doesn't seem to matter that I hadn't read the first one. I probably will go and read it now anyway, because I, I'm quite yeah. uh, quite a fan of the uh, the author now. That's quite good, yeah. I like this a lot, yeah. Very well told, and 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 yeah, it got me in the got me in the feels at the end there. 
so you know, and, and, and since I am dead inside, that's that's a, that's, that's no mean feat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like that a lot. Yeah, just that's not quite enough. My second favourite. So yeah, here we go. It's Shishin uh, Lu's Death's End. This is the third book in, <laughs> the, in the trilogy, and it's the, happened to have been the biggest as well. The others were a respectable four to five, four to three, three to four hundred. This was seven hundred. Wow. This was the seven eaves of uh, this year. Um, so why does it go halfway through the run of ideas? No, no, this is fantastic. I just, I just, I couldn't stop reading this cover to cover. I so um, the first book is oh god, I forgot the name now. It's gone. Death's it, End, three body problem. Oh, three, yeah. three body problem, which was uh, we'll probably cover that on the show at some point yeah, we because have to. it was a uh, previous Hugo winner of twenty thirteen, maybe somewhere uh, around there, fourteen, yeah, fifteen. Then. It's one of those. Of yeah, um, that was you know, I think it's the chap's debut novel and went down very well. And that was a, that was a fantastic. Uh, well, I loved that. I loved that one because of you know it's it's real sort of interesting examination of the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which I just never come across in my, in my normal day to day life before. But also the the sort of the, the sort of sweeping... It's essentially about Fermi's Paradox, this series, the whole series. Fermi's Paradox, where is everybody? So the universe is really, really old. Even at, low, even at sublight travel speeds, it should be, you should be able to get to the nearest star in 50,000 years. The universe is 13 billion years old. Anyone who can get into space should have covered almost all of it by now, and we should see them everywhere. Why not? Why don't we? And there's a lot of answers to that. Go look it up on Wikipedia. It's a fascinating article, that actually, Fermi's Paradox on Wikipedia. But this this one takes the uh, Alastair Reynolds style approach yeah. to why where why why are there no why are we not being visited? Where is everybody? Yeah. And the basic the core tenet and fundamental thing of the Dark Forest, which is the middle one, which I haven't read, but I had to go and look at a Wikipedia summary of just so I could, you know, have the context for this. Is that the reason that there's no one, no, we don't see anyone out there, is because they're all being quiet. Because anyone who makes a noise gets destroyed. Oh, okay. Annihilating yeah. a stellar civilization is trivially easy by any other yeah, yeah, stellar, stellar civilization. So the only, the only ones who survive out in the big, dark, scary cosmos, the dark forest, is are the ones who don't make any noises at all. All the ones who destroy everyone else. Yeah, and and obviously at the start, uh, at the end of. Um, three-body problem, one, a particularly horrifically abused and disgruntled Chinese astrophysicist decides to really kick the kick our whole civilization in the nuts by, by using the sun as a kind of amplifier and sending out a, here we are, come and get us signal. Basically because she's just so fed up with her fellow human beings that she wants the aliens to intervene. Not fully understanding that the aliens are... How the intervention is <laughs> going to play out. Exactly. Yeah. And so from the end of that book, you the, the, the Tricellarian civilization at uh, Alpha Centauri who basically live on a planet that goes woo around three different stars and gives them all sorts of problems developing, uh, have been on the way. Basically, that, that, the end of that book sets a 400-year timer on the invasion from another star system by a highly advanced civilization. And of course, to, to to stop that, they do these. They send these things called sophons. It's basically a massive supercomputers folded from two dimensions into three dimensions to become a subatomic particle. They're basically a pair of malevolent photons who basically spend that intervening four hundred years zooming around the Earth at instantaneous speeds, screwing up all particle physics experiments. Okay. Which effectively blocks human progress yeah. for four hundred years, so that we don't get the jump Good on plan. them by the Good time plan. they get. Yeah, plan. if you can pull it off, it's <laughs> quite quite it makes sense. Anyway, so the dark forest is a lot. Is basically a Massive, a long, long, more, more or less self-contained story about how um, 
about how we come up with a solution to that and and that sort of dovetails into here a bit but this does work as a standalone thing as well we end up with so basically uh cheng zin is an aerospace engineer from the 21st century uh and we humans have hibernation technology mostly mostly as a plot device she basically starts off in the 21st century and then spends the rest of the book sort of being put to sleep and, and, and visiting future and future and future parts of what's essentially a massive grand tale it's it's on it's, it's in the scale of arthur c Clarke. it's got that Alistair Reynolds-style sweeping scope to it all. It's a huge space soap opera. And it is the story of mankind and, and the, the, the you know our survival in a, in a hugely hostile and aggressive cosmos. And it, it's, I mean, you'd think 700 pages, that'd be full of filler and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It actually sounds interesting. There's not, there are not, not many wasted chapters in yeah. here at all. Do you want to read the quotes from the cover? Um, yes. No, it's on the front cover. On the front cover. The, the quotes by other authors. Uh, a unique blend of scientific and philosophical speculation, conspiracy theory, and cosmology by George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Uh, wildly imaginative, really interesting. Barack Obama. He's not a sci-fi author, what's no, no. he doing all there? Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's a weird pair. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, it's the, it has that almost 2001 Space Odyssey, sort of Arthur C. Clarke, va- vast scope to it all, but it's there's this real dark tinge to it as well. I mean, Clarke is generally quite optimistic in most of his stuff. The aliens are out there, but they're generally quite benevolent, godlike figures who want to see it all work. Yeah. Whereas he sort of take he melds that with Alastair Reynolds' "Oh my God, the universe is full of technological cosmic horrors, and they're all going to kill us." Yeah, uh, I, I to, to, to his put books. together, and, and he sort of walks somewhere down the middle with this, and it, it's just a fantastic sort of. I mean, it's got a map in the front, uh, a map of eras, a map of yeah, time I, scales. I can approve of that. Particular it starts. Map. It starts in the present and finishes in the year one nine zero six four one six. So you know, there's a. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a huge, huge epic sweep. It's there's. There's no end. There's there's no there's not going to be a fourth one because it does finish quite conclusively. Okay. Um, but uh, we shall mourn the earth. It, well, I'm not going to say anything. No. But worth definitely worth it, and particularly obviously if you enjoy the previous two, then uh, and I, I did enjoy the first one. I need to go and get the second one now. Yeah. Second one didn't come up in, in in the years I was participating, which was last year, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't get a chance to get to it. So much to read, but no, I just really liked it all I, the way through. I shall have to give. Those three so, read. so that's good. my personal favourite, Death Send by Xi Jin Lu. Um, and we'll have to see what the actual. I've done. The, I've been to the website, had me voters pack and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've put me put me rankings on on the website, uh, and now I just we just have to wait. I think August, mid August, we'll see the final results. Yeah. I'll probably mention them on the show, but won't go into too too vast detail over it all. But it'll be interesting to see if I completely misjudge again the, the mood of, of of everyone else like I did last time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but there we go. Um, I probably ought to stop banging on about books for a bit so yes I did it hooray I'm a, I'm a, I'm a productive member of the sci-fi community or something Yeah. and I didn't have time to do the films I only saw about half of them <laughs> what did you think of the films you saw uh, Arrival was very good, was Arrival my favorite. Was very good yeah. I bought Deadpool and I haven't watched it yet apparently it's very good I, know, I'm gonna, I will I will I have to get around to it um, Rogue One was very good my, yeah. my favourite of the Star Wars films frankly yes yeah I love Star Wars for grown ups um, yeah, so I'm, and to be honest, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to just, you know, a down brown or just watching some one show for a bit, you know, just <laughs> let myself go, unwind. <laughs> Actually, no, because we're doing Ringworld for the next uh, book podcast. So uh, I've read that before, it's very good, and I'm looking forward to it again. I've read start. a Halo book, I know how they are. <laughs> I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about anything. I'm gonna you let me talk, talk for a while. Go on, then you can talk. I'm going to talk <laughs> about uh, Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. Okay. Osiris. 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 That's completely different. Uh, 
Yes, this this is uh, unlike most uh, of the games. This is a third person multiplayer puzzle game. A third person. No, sorry, uh, a, 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 a um, isometricy third oh, right. person. What, like head over heels? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, basically, it's a one to four player game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it works really Who well. Who are the other three players? Um, random American archaeologist dude <laughs> uh, and two ancient Egyptian gods. Right, okay. Because you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, what happens is it's all gone horribly wrong and you have to put together this statue uh, to solve everything. And you put together the statue by going around solving all these little puzzle rooms and collecting the uh, bits of statue at the end. Mm. And okay. on the way, pick up the odd upgrade and stuff. Sounds fun. It's not very deep, mm. I'll, I'll say that. But it, it plays really well as a uh, multiplayer um, uh, puzzle game. Okay. Where it'll be, you know, somebody has to shoot this particular thing with their weapon while somebody pulls on this lever. Kind oh, of thing. Right, that, and it yeah. scales up depending on how many players you've got. If you've got one person, the puzzle is different than if you've got two. Uh, okay. So it, it may depend so it sounds on... like it's at its best with as many players as you can get. Really. I don't know. I've only ever only played it with two, and mm. so I don't know how well it goes. Um, but it, it looks quite good. It plays quite well. It, it It's a little bit low budget. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't have the same... <laughs> it's a lot more supernatural as well than even the rest of the uh, Tomb Raider's mm. Yeah. Because uh, you are dealing directly with gods. And, um, <laughs> there's, no, there's, you, no, there's no ambiguity there. No. Yeah, and occasionally you have a boss fight against a large crocodile right. uh, uh, person, that kind okay. of thing, as yeah. you'd expect. Uh, it's set in Egypt and uh, basically in a large uh, tomb complex where you're running on going into them, and you have there's. It feels a lot like the uh, Crystal Maze. Okay. You'll go into an area and say, "Okay, th- this is a water uh, puzzle," zone. and it'll be right. I've got to get drop this bomb which floats down, put it through this channel by pulling the levers at the right time, get it down, and then it'll blow something up. That kind of thing. Okay. Sounds interesting. Some puzzle rooms, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like a Portal Two. Sort of, of, yeah, yeah, Yeah. a lot, quite, uh, sort of like that, but with less creative mechanics. Mm. It's very. There's always one way to solve it. Just pull the right levers at the right time. Okay. It got a bit annoying, and um, I've temporarily stopped playing it because it was so annoying. (laughs) I got annoyed. People call that a rage quit. Yeah. Got Mm. to a point where I didn't know how to continue. Okay. Uh, And the reason why I didn't know how to continue was. Uh, all players involved had not walked to the far end of one room at the same time to progress it using an invisible trigger. Is there any telegraphing for that? Nope. Nope, nothing. No, it was just, it's going ha- have we up. finished the... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have we finished the puzzle before? Have we actually done everything involved in the puzzle before? And is that why this gate isn't opening? No, we just both have to go stand exactly by the gate. Right? And it was really close to the gate, not sort of oh, just on the same shuffle, screen. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Yeah, and, and that was a very sounds irritating difficult point in the game, and uh, basically destroyed any desire to continue playing it in the short term. Mm. But apart from that, it's good, and I really enjoy it. And there's other games in this series, and I think that that they're well worth a look if you've got two to four people who want to play stuff. Does the Tomb Raider license particularly help or hinder? No. It's, it's just no, really the, superficial. The Tomb Raider license does absolutely nothing sounds apart like the, the from me- the fact that there's a woman in shorts with two guns. It sounds like the mechanics is quite fascinating, though. So the basic yeah. puzzle solving. It, it does yeah. feel that if it had been a different IP... Just any, then, any one of them, Batman or whatever. Yeah, it, it may have worked slightly better because you would have better... The problem is there's two different skill sets. Mm. Uh, you basically have... Uh, 
Lara with her guns, and you have the Egyptians with a staff that can fire a beam and uh, uh, create sort uh, of Lego, isn't it? Lego yeah. Star Wars uh, sort of thing. And and so you've got just those two. So if you've got the one, then Lara gets the staff and can do both. If you've got the two, then the Egyptian has the staff and Lara has the guns. And Fair if enough. you have three, yeah. then you have two people with guns and one person with staff, or two people with staff. <laughs> right. And, and so it doesn't go all the way up to four different mechanics. It only stays at two. Oh, okay. Because they just assume most people will be duoing it, I Yeah, suppose. possibly. Mm, yeah. But I, I think it's an interesting game for a uh, uh, any kind of static group with four mm. people. What's that one? That a... um, I played it on Xbox, but I believe it is on uh, definitely on oh, PS4, okay. Okay. and I don't know if it's on. Sounds like a phone game for some reason. No, no, yeah, no, it does. You're thinking a lot of Lara Croft Go, I think. Oh yes, yes, yeah. it's like that, but we're walking around more. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's on PC. I, I neglected to check beforehand, but I shall assume it is and be proven wrong if I am. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, it, it's a great little fun little game, I think, with a couple of caveats of you may get. To a bit of a rage quitty point, but I think after a while, you may I, I will just go back to it and think, okay, I'm I'm past that uh, disappointment now, and I can continue it. Mm. Yeah, cool. And some of the puzzles have foxed me, so that's fine. Fair enough. I finished abduction. Yeah, that was a lot quicker than I thought. Actually, yeah. I didn't get stuck. Did at you see all. we got a comment from the uh, lead uh, art designer? Oh uh, gosh, <laughs> I should probably read some comments. Sometime. Yeah, you probably should. Um, it was on Twitter. Oh, well, no, no, it's, it's really good. He said thank you. Yeah. No, no, I genuinely believe it is really good. It, it's, it's very well-crafted, well-driven well cinematic story experience. I mean, like I say, for longevity, you probably want something more like The Witness because, you know, <laughs> it doesn't just last you much, much longer. But, I, yeah, I rattled through it and it was pretty quick and I didn't find any puzzles that just, you know, had me looking stuff up or stuck. Yeah. So I don't know whether that means I just got a massive brain or whether this is pretty straightforward stuff. I mean... Nanny, would you... Would you look up Mist now? Which I don't know. I haven't played Mist in. I, I think I might have played it once, a very, very long time ago. But I don't remember anything about it. But um, yeah, it was it was good. It was just, it it does the two different endings thing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's that one key decision that you do or don't do will divert yeah. it down. Oh my God, I did what? Do you get a convenient save point just beforehand? Yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> Which is interesting because it, there isn't actually a safe. Oh. I couldn't work out how to. You just exit and it auto saves. So it must have it must have taken an auto save yeah. because it knew I'd want to go back. Yeah. So well, it's so like I, on the, all the open world games before you do that last mission. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it will restore you to. Just yeah. Before there's a that. there's a pivotal thing you do just before the thing at the end, and and it will end up with an oh my god that's terrifying ending or or the hey everything's brilliant ending. Um, yeah. Yeah. Quite polar extremes yeah. there. But um, but yeah. Um, I I don't know. It was lavish, but I just felt it could have. Filled, filled with more puzzles. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of spa, lot of spare art there, if you see what I mean. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a whole there's lots lots of interesting knickknacks and things around the place that just do not seem to have any relevance or bearing on anything. They look well, great. You, you don't want everything to be. Uh... I know, I know. Perhaps perhaps I'm just demanding too much out of the, the sort of puzzle aspect of it, and not. Yeah, as a, as a sort of walking simulator aspect, it is genuinely fascinating, interesting. It's four different worlds with the different spheres knocked out of each of them, and so on. And um, yeah, in working out what happened and piecing it together from the logs and so on. And there's yeah. there's quite a lot of supplementary notes and logs about things and, and stuff in there that didn't seem to have any relevance on the puzzles as well, but just worked as world building, which is nice as well. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and it's, it's I think it's worth its money, but it's not a not a not a long term thing. You're not going to be playing this for years and years, no. and getting the replayability. 
I think it's probably quite low as well. I think I may have jumped some of the stages out of order because it just occurred to me that that was the thing. These are the things I should probably be doing yeah. next, rather than you know every time I pull a switch successfully, now go back to the guy behind the window and ask him of what to do next. I just went off and did it all, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, which may have may have shortcutted some of the exposition a little. But on the whole, it's very good. I recommend it. Recommend that. Yeah. Anything else to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'm going to briefly talk about Grow Up. Grow Up. Which is uh, a sequel to another game, hmm. which is, as far as I can tell, identical, which I haven't played. But uh, you are this little uh, robot-y thing, uh, which is on a spaceship, which gets destroyed, and you get uh, knocked down onto this moon. Okay. And then you have this basically a 3D open-world platformer to uh, get all the bits together and restore your uh, AI and chip. Okay, sounds interesting. Uh, it's got interesting mechanics, like you climb by the left and right trigger on the controller. Oh, what? So hand over hand. Over hand uh -huh. Which is really nice. Uh, and you spend your time doing things like uh, you scan the DNA of a tree yeah. and then you can create a new tree. And so the first one you find is a bounce tree. Uh, okay. Uh, a bounce mushroom. And so you can then use that to get higher level. And basically you're trying to get higher and higher and higher. So you can find a big mushroomy thing that you can climb up and uh, it progresses from there. Uh, with general, you know, you, you just get higher and higher in the map, and hmm. it's interesting. Um, Sounds I, like I, a fun idea. I've got this nagging feeling. Not having played the first one, which was Grow Home, I think it was called. <laughs> um, not having played the first one, um, it puts you into this world yeah. and then tells you to get on with it, and it is incredibly sparse on telling you what to do. Ah. Like, go here next, you can do this next. And so I spent an awful lot of time trying to get between floating islands, which I don't think I could do at that stage. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't clear, and it got very frustrating quite quickly because of it. Yeah. So um, sort of the, the game itself, the sort of puzzle of it is finding out what to do rather than here is a yeah. puzzle now. And it. the problem with it being yeah. a big open world thing is, if, if I decide that, oh, well, actually I need to be on that side of the map now, yeah, that's a long trek to get to that bit, and it's going to take minutes to get there, mm. and that sucks out the energy that I've got to that point. On oh, I'm doing quite well up to this point. I sort of travel as a sort of fake gameplay yeah. extension. Yeah. I, I can't help but feel that if it was a linear level, mm. uh, then I would have got a lot further in the game than I have at the moment. Well, because I keep getting playing it for a bit and thinking, yeah, but now oh, I can't be asked. Well, I suppose there's a difference between something like Portal, where you've got your puzzle rooms, which are just bang, 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 here's the puzzle, here's the puzzle, here's the puzzle, and then, okay, yeah, stuff changes as you go. But where compared to, oh, I don't know, I can't think of any specific examples, but if the puzzles are scattered across a massive continent map and it's pretending to be a world with a narrative and a story, some Far Cry type thing or whatever, I mean, yeah, which is the pure experience? If you're there for the puzzles, you just want puzzle, 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 and you're not not necessarily even wanting three-dimensional yeah. logical spaces to connect them together, like the lifts between levels yeah. in Portal. You just want puzzle. Well, the lifts between levels in puzzle. Portal were Where's loading screens. Loading screens, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It depends what you're after. Is, I, a world I, with puzzles I've in seen it, or puzzles. some bits of the, of the previous game, mm. and it shows large trees growing up while you hold on to them and things. So yeah. I know that that's something that will probably happen later on, mm. but... Getting from, oh, look, I've made a mushroom to having that ability, which I think I know where it is, but being going to get that, yeah, it, it just... Is that what you signed up for? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I don't yeah. know what I signed up for. <laughs> and at the start, it didn't make it clear what I had signed up for. And so it's this... just a little bit too... It's lacking something in the whole focus. Wasn't there some of the problem with No Man's Sky is that it just dumps you... You have the, do you want the tutorial, yes or no? And the tutorial turns out to be the whole story. Yeah. Whereas the no, I don't want the tutorial option turns out to be the, yeah. all right, well, we're not going to tell you anything at all. Off you go. It's very similar to the whole No Man's Sky problem, which was, uh, in essence, the whole don't know what you're here for. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, No Man's Sky was sold on uh, the vagaries of what you were there for. Yeah. And like, oh, no, it, it could Which be a big I'll, thing. You're going to get to the centre of the universe. <laughs> it's going to be great. And when you get there, oh, it's going to be brilliant. Well, you, you could be inside the box. You get to the middle of the box, you become something massive. Uh, and then, of course, it turned out to be... Go back to start. Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of vagueness can often be used cynically to cover up the fact that there is no substance, yeah. but it sounds like this has substance. Yeah, it does. It, it, I mean, I've, I've only got so far into it because I got frustrated and I need to go back and, uh, in a better frame of mind, give it a proper go. Mm. But it, it's just... I find going away it's, and then coming back cold on that kind of thing helps a lot. Yeah. You sort of come back after like a couple of days not playing and immediately go, ah, yes. you know. What it's done is it. I think it has screwed up the opening to such an extent where mm. I it, may, it really does make me feel that if I haven't played the first game, then I just don't know what to do. Is that you? And, do we need tutorials now? Well, can no, can I, we not figure out this stuff for ourselves? Because back in the day, Spectrum days and whatever, yeah, Amiga back in the days, day of the Spectrum you, you, you'd be dumped in the middle of something like that and, told, and expected yeah, to find but out your options would be to walk left or walk right, <laughs> not here's an entire map for you to I jump suppose, off. I suppose, yeah. The, the possible permutations you could work through were much more limited. Yeah, e even when open, back in the yeah. day you, you say that it didn't tell you what to do, yeah. it was because walk right, pick up the thing, <laughs> was the thing. It didn't tell you what obvious. to do because there were only usually yeah. four things to do, yeah. Yeah, it just feels yeah. like a massive um, lost opportunity at the start. So if you're going to have ultimate freedom of an open world sandbox type of thing, then you need to start putting signposts in. Because, yeah. You, yeah. Okay, look at what Ubisoft do. Uh, look at a Far Cry game, the way that does yeah, it. Yeah, we mock we, the map and the towers yeah. and everything, but, but that does help. That... <laughs> They, they have got down pat the, you're in this world, these are all the things you can do, we're going to introduce them to you in an interesting way. By the way, you're meant to be doing this, get on with it, have fun. Yeah, yeah. And here's the big special yeah. icon that you can go and visit yeah. if you want some more story and, delivered. And, and it may well be the fact that you, you see that and think, oh, I can't be asked for any of this. Well, you look but, at that and you see the same everywhere. Yeah. But, it, but you can't <laughs> criticise them for telling you what you've got yourself in for. Everyone does it because it. it works, yeah. yeah. And you think some better hand-holding, I suppose, yeah. tutorial, whatever. Yeah, I think, I think I should go play the first one and then come back to the sequel. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe the first one is required reading. Yeah, it could be that the sequel Which is, is not, great not anyway. as good as the first one, and it could just be that. Yeah. Because people said an awful lot of good stuff about the first one, and I don't think I heard as much about it. You should dig out the first one and give that a go yeah. and see if that so I think changes I will, your opinion. I think I will do that. Mm, okay. I was going to talk about a load of other stuff, but I've been banging on for about an hour now, yeah. so probably ought to we'll, wrap we'll up. We'll save that for next time. Do your spiel. If you go on to howtomurdertime.com, you can subscribe to the podcast and see our previous episodes. If you go along to YouTube, you can like and subscribe if you feel like it, but don't hit that bell because I'll just annoy the hell out of you. And you can also go along to iTunes and leave us a lovely review if you feel like it or a bad review because I don't actually think it matters what's in the review. It's just the fact that you have a You're review. You're not choosy, are you? No. Just a review will do. I, I just crave acknowledgement, really. You could just open that bad boy up and face roll into it for a week. Eh? Yeah. Mm. And join us next time when we'll be talking about more games. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>